When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and thanks for tuning in. I am that nerd dad, Joe Williamson. It is the interview show. Alright, today's guest. Kind of a big deal in Canada. Adam Grow. And if you're going, I know that name. What do I, why do I know that name? It's the uh, cash cab guy. And my first question to him, not to spoil the interview for you, is... uh. Is it kind of annoying being known as the cash cab guy? Super generous with his time. And uh, something you might not know about him, he is a foster parent. Has been for nearly a decade. So we talk about foster parenting, which was something we haven't discussed yet on the show. Interesting take. Learned a lot of new things. So will you, I'll bet. Uh, so before we get into that, wanna want to ask you to do something for me. There's probably a subscribe button. Maybe a follow. Hit that. There's like a five star or a thumbs up thing. One of those is great too. Some sort of comment is greatly appreciated as well. All of these little little bits of engagement help me. They all and they help the show. They help it get bigger. So more and more parents can experience the joy that you're experiencing right at this very moment. Or anguish. And if you want to send it to an enemy, that's fine too. So now that we've got all that housekeeping out of the way, let's uh, throw it to the theme song, and then to Adam Grow. Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Hello and thanks for tuning in. Today my guest is Adam Grow, comedian, TV and event host, corporate entertainer. He does it all. I know your website is like really impressive. AdamGrow.com. I almost said .ca. It's .com. Um, you're best known as being uh, host of Cash Cap. Yeah. Does that get annoying? Never, never, Liar. ever. I don't believe uh, it. Not, not at <laughs> all. I mean, I'll be honest. There's there's two senses of the joy that Cash Cab has brought. Uh, in the, and you know, there's three. There's obviously uh, the brand building and the career and uh, and the fun I had. But in terms of what you're asking specifically, there's pre-COVID, and then there's you know during which we're still in a pandemic. If you're watching this in the year 2032, uh, we're currently in 2022, and it's just April, and there's still a pandemic. Although a lot of people think there's not, but anyway, my point is about Cash Cab. Where do you stand on advance, the issue, Adam? <laughs> yeah, I know. In advance of uh, of the pandemic, it was always a real treat for me when we I'd be out with my family, we'd be at the airport or at a restaurant or at the mall, and one of my kids, and it's been many years now, uh, you know, I, uh, we started in 2008. And so over the many years, once Cash Cap became a thing, one of the kids would notice that, oh, 
people are recognizing you, Papa. And, you know, it was never at all the type of thing where if people came up to me and asked me uh, questions about Cash Gab or wanted to take a picture, I was always thrilled because for me as an entertainer, when I started in radio and then in stand up and then getting into TV, that was like, that's the dream. You want to be a recognizable face and, and name and something that someone that brings joy to people in, in the entertainment um Real, uh, you know, real estate of our world. Uh, and, you know, obviously I, I wouldn't, I don't know what to, to call myself, Joe, you know, <laughs> Canadian celebrity that seems so self-deprecating or, you know, D-lister, you know, <laughs> obviously there are celebrities that it becomes very intrusive, but it was never the point where I, I couldn't enjoy a meal or I was mobbed. It was just everywhere I went, someone would recognize and come up and want to take a selfie or ask questions. And so, I have to balance that if it, if it, it ever got to the point where I couldn't go anywhere, I couldn't go grocery shopping and, you know, it just never was like that. And I yeah. think it's part of the, part of it is cash cab, right, Joe? It's just yeah. like, he's just a cabbie. He's just a guy, yeah. right? You know, the, nobody's like, Ooh, you know, this is crazy. They're just like, they just love the show and what, you know, what it does for them. And, you know, they watch it with their kids or their grand uh, or their parents. There's three generations watching. It's a real family experience. And so jump cut to during the pandemic, same kind of joy, but I haven't, I've barely left my house in two years. So, you know, aside from grocery shopping or whatever, most of my events have been online, 95% of what I've been doing, but I get a lot more fan mail now. Um, not that ever before, but there's been a resurfacing because I don't know if it's because people have been at home or if because it's being aired a lot more on various platforms, but there's a new kind of fan base or uh, revitalization of fan base for Cash Gap because people have needed something light and fun to entertain themselves during lockdowns or whatever, especially when things were really bad. And the joy it's been bringing people in the mail I get is just like, thank you for Cash Gap. It just really helped me, you know, as uh, as an entertainment you know, outlet. And so that's been a real joy for me. I, I feel honored to have been part of the show. And obviously there's other people that made cash cab, the, the field uh, team, the producers, the post-production, and, you know, everybody came together to make a really great show. I just happened to be uh, the main face of it. And I think that Canadians, if you, if you've been on cash cab, you can take some credit for that too, because people <laughs> love what, what you're doing on cash cab. If you've been a contestant, win or lose, they love you. It's a, uh... It has made you beloved, and I, I say that because uh, this is episode ninety or so, or so of this show. Um, and congrats! This might, That's uh, impressive. Thank you. This might be the first one my mom watches because <laughs> <laughs> because I, I put it on Facebook. I was like, "Hey guys, you know, the little thing I did to promote." And uh, I had people like, "Hey, tell them, tell tell them, Pet Value says hey," because apparently you must have done All a right. corporate gig with Pet Value. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then my mom was like, "Your dad tells me uh, you're gonna have the guy from Cash Cab on. I might watch that one." <laughs> I'm like, thanks, mom. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, but listen, you, you, that part doesn't change in terms of the celebrity being the Cash Cab guy. I mean, obviously, my kids and even my wife Julie, you know, they like the street cred with their friends and their classmates or the other moms on the street a little bit. But at the end of the day, it's just me at home yeah. and and you know the, the, uh, famously my my kids will be more excited about you know me bumping into another celebrity that was you know or i did one um the very first episode of the umbrella academy i was oh, wow. a news reporter at one of the opening scenes for the season one episode one and that and that of course was a huge cult thing before it went on to netflix and then it's yeah. been you know it just blasted off and i Honestly, I was in about two to three minutes of the first episode of season one, and I got huge fan mail. And obviously, my kids were like, did you meet all? And I'm like, <laughs> really? I've 
hosted eight seasons of my own show. And you want to know who I met on set. Anyway, that's what you get. So get used to it with mom and dad. They're going to be like, yeah, good job, Joe. I know you're viral and everything like that, but uh, could you say hello to, you know, I'm not going viral. I'm not. going. Well, viral. You know, <laughs> I appreciate the, the optimism <laughs> in the context of us nerd dads. We stick together. Dad, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to jump off that for my transition. You're a foster dad, which is, mm -hmm. uh, look, obviously I know you're from cash cab, but when I was reading your bio and in, in your Twitter, it's like just kind of a throwaway thing, like foster dad. And I was like, okay, that piqued my interest a little bit. So I did a little research. You have been a foster dad for nine years. You've been fostering well, for almost nine, nine years. years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we've gone through and not gone through. That's a bad phrase. You have helped develop and foster seven babies. Tell me mm -hmm. about that experience. How did you get into it? What prompted it? You do have three children of your own as well. So why add to the chaos? Yeah, I definitely chaos <laughs> is our normal. Uh, and it's, you, I say that in a loving way as, as do other dads and other families and parents. It, it is a, a commitment to a chaotic lifestyle and it never ends, but it's, it's a joyous and wondrous chaos, uh, raising kids and fostering is simply from, for me personally. And I know I can speak for my family, but they're all having their own experiences with fostering, but from my observances and our experiences as, as doing this together, which was really key to why we did it, it is the most incredible and challenging thing I've ever done. And I don't imagine that I'll ever do anything that matches it in that regard. So, you know, all of the things that come with the challenges of having a newborn to toddler in your home are the same when you're fostering plus layer on top of that all of the other things that are going on with each case which is different for each baby each bio family each potential adoptive family uh it's it's a, a huge source of uh, validation in terms of being part of a community and giving back to your community uh, and validation of what we all believe and what i personally believe in in my own you know, daily meditation and outlook on life that it's very important to and make the world a better place and inspire other other people to do the same thing and that that helps you. So it's not completely altruistic. There's a lot in it for us. We get a lot of joy. Uh, there have been extremely challenging and difficult decisions and circumstances, but we knew that going in. And so in terms of just kind of breaking it all down and giving you a chance to interject, I don't, I could talk about it forever. Obviously, you know, it really came from Julie and I wanting to do something as a family where we really felt as if we were a part of our immediate community uh, and uh, having an impact on other people in a positive way and nourishing our, ourselves and our, and our family. And so it took us a while to find that. And I, I know other families have the same goals and other families that we observed in advance of deciding to become fa foster families, we're already doing stuff. So, you know, just as examples, and you might have friends that did this too. I've, ha I've had friends that have, you know, traveled to war-torn countries and built schools or dug wells or taught kids in, in you know, um, third world nations where poverty, and, you know, those were things that I believe and I supported from a distance, either financially or, you know, amplifying those stories, but it wasn't in, my comfort zone nor in julie's comfort zone to do that especially when we had young kids and when we did eventually decide to, to foster our kids were still pretty young so some families did that and i would look at them and go ah i don't know how you do that and for me that's what i hope fostering does when i talk about it to other people 
you might not want to foster or it might not be in your wheelhouse to have a newborn baby in your house again after you've had three and we're up to 10 newborns in our house. And my wife, by the way, uh, was and a doula and a prenatal teacher. So we had classes of newborn babies coming over like 12 at a time to our house because you should have a party. You know, and this is all the advance of COVID. So it's a part of our world. But when we discovered fostering, when we looked at other families that were doing things that were beyond and outside of our, our comfort zone and wheelhouse, when we discovered fostering, it was like, of course. Like, it was like, the obviously, that's what we should be doing. It just made total sense for so many reasons. And so I'm happy and grateful to talk about it because if you're listening or watching this right now and you go, I, I know there's something for me, like, because we tried other things and they just didn't click. Um, and I just want you to know it's out there for you. The, the the thing that you could do either individually or with your family is out there. And when you find out about it, it you're going to know it right away. And then there's still the work that needs to be done. So before I, you know, throw it back to you, you know, once we decided it was still about eight to nine months of training and uh, approvals and emergency background checks and home inspections and talking to social workers before we actually got our first foster base, baby placement in our home. So I'm curious about that first step, that first step of, you know, okay, we've decided we want to be foster parents, which in and of itself, you know, to your point of, I want people to be in awe, I'm in awe because it's, um, it's so selfless. And if anything, and we'll talk about this after, um, I immediately thought about the heartache of growing attached to a, a, a baby and then having to hand them off to someone else. Um, it, I, I was like, I was overwhelmed just by thinking about it. And that's when I went down this rabbit hole of like, holy, okay. Um, so that first step of, okay, we want to do this. What, where do you go? What do you do? What do you, who do you call? Right. For, for the first step, it was kind of on our radar really loosely a number of years before, but maybe for me, I guess it was at least our, our kids were too close to still being out of diapers okay. for me to go. Okay, we can go back there. So by the time I was like, you know, had the moments like I was on the our back deck uh, in our house and just, you know, my wife and our middle child, our, our daughter, who was about nine at the time, had come to me and said, we, we, I know I've talked to you about this years before, but there's another information session being put on by the Children's Aid Society of Toronto. We're just going to go. And Julie and I have always had a philosophy about things, whether it be a job or you know, a big investment, or we always say, take things to the point where we have to say yes or no. Don't just okay. shut it down right away. So of course, when uh, Emma, who was nine, and my wife, Julie said, we're just going to go to an information session, just check it out, you know, whatever. It's like, <laughs> I said, absolutely. So they came back and they were really energized uh, about it. And so, you know, when they presented it to the rest of the family as, as why we should do it, you know, it was just seemed obvious. And so the next step after that, and there are a number of different organizations, and again, I'm I'm glad I'm grateful and I'm, uh, and I appreciate that you're in awe. And I I do want to make it clear again, and I might do it again in this interview that I'm not looking to to make people uh, appreciative of what I do. I, I'm I want the awe to be like that feeling that we're having in our family is there for you. That's what I want you to be in, awestruck about. And so. There's a number of organizations. So if fostering, for instance, was something that you did want to look into, there's the Children's Aid Society. 
and there's chapters in different cities across the country. There's uh, Jewish Family Child Services, and there's the Catholic Children's Aid Society. So there's a, there's at least three different pathways for you to become involved as a foster family. And, you know, because we were most familiar with the Children's Aid Society of Toronto, because we'd seen some information about information sessions. And then, you know, we didn't overthink this part, Joe, but it was like, I'm Jewish. My wife's Catholic. Our kids are confused they're in between <laughs> so we we have a little bit of both in our house culturally speaking and and some practicing but we, and we've you know been very open about that with our family so they're it's very open and loving in terms of embracing what we can from each religion but we just thought you know instead of investigating jewish family services and catholic just just go obviously in the neutral place and so we've never i can't speak to either one of those other ones i can only speak to Children's Aid Society. And then there's a, uh, I think there's pretty universal training across all agencies. So there's a course you have to take. It doesn't matter if you've had kids. We had three kids at the time. We still had to take a course. Uh, and it was extremely, I mean, it became date night for Julie and I to get out of the house uh, every week on Tuesdays. We'd go learn about what's going to be like to foster. And, you know, it was very informative. It kind of reminds me of when I decided I had graduated from university uh, at U of T and then I decided to go into radio and I, and I took uh, a year of just practical college level certification at Humber College for radio. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, after eight months of doing it in the college at the college radio station, you, you got to get out there and do it. Right. So yeah. the, the you children get thrown into the deep end. Yeah. The fostering thing, you know, obviously I don't want to just throw trial by fire. There's extensive training and stuff like that. I don't want to, you know, belittle it. But at some point in time, you have to get your first placement and you've got support workers. So. It, with the Children's Aid Society of Toronto, for instance, there's a social worker for us, there's a social worker for the baby specifically, and there's a social worker for the family or the bio parents. And that might seem like it's, you know, you know, overkill and, you know, who's paying for that? You know, like, but these social workers are, trust me, they're overworked and overtaxed. They don't, you know, and, and it's important. There needs to be a voice for all of the people involved. And um, it makes it you know, challenging on the one hand to keep up with communications, but it's also important to make sure that all voices are heard. And, you know, that includes babies, infants, uh, and then eventually uh, children and teens. They need to have a voice, a separate voice from a social worker in the mix. So the, the first pa placement comes, you get it, and you're, you're looking at them and you go, well, now what? And is it just, well, okay, they're part of the family and we, and we we just do our best to make them feel a part of the family? Yeah, I mean, part of the training is uh, is geared towards, you know, how you support them in terms of who they are and who their families are. And we, by the way, with any children's aid agency or fostering, you, you can foster older kids. We specialize, our specs, they call it, uh, is babies. And obviously that makes sense because my wife was a doula and a prenatal teacher and we had three kids. So you can, we, we just don't have any kids older than, you know, toddlers in our home. That's just on our specs, but you know, you can have teens or whatever. And so, um, you know, what's the sense of when that baby arrives, uh, you know, on the one hand, it's a, it's a complete stranger. Yeah, it's a baby, but there is it's just like my 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 youngest, who's in grade twelve now. She says, "Who's this random human in our house right now?" Like honestly, what is going on? But in a loving way, um, and so the best the best way I do, and I frame it on stage when I'm doing stand up sometimes, is I say, "If if you want to know what it's like to have a foster baby, and you're kind of wondering, you know, is it the same as your bio kids? Just think about dog owners. 
you know, when they bring a puppy home and they've had a dog for 14 years, you know, is there any, you know, doubt that dog owners love their dogs? Like it's, you know, they're letting the dog eat off their plate. They're letting the dog sleep in their bed. They're buying their dog, you know, it's like, you know, and that's not their birth dog, right? You know, they didn't give birth to that puppy. So, you know, I'm not belittling the babies, but it doesn't, it doesn't take long for that baby to be a part of your family. It's this, and because we had kids and we know what it's like, you know, and for women, it's different. There's hormones going on. There's, you know, postpartum, you know, any family, even with their bio kids, there's a, period of adjustment, right? That doesn't diminish the fact that there's a huge amount of love right away. So you're sleep deprived, you're confused, you maybe got hormones, you know, you've maybe got depression, whatever. We don't have depression like postpartum depression because it's not a birth baby, but there's a period of adjustment. But really the love is 100% authentic. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, to, to the follow-up to that, um, and we can discuss it, you know, as you continue to have curious questions about the departure of a baby, it's, that's why it's one of the most wondrous, but challenging things I've ever done. Right. And to, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, you know, we're on our seventh baby right now. We would easily, if, if it was an option, which is not always an option, have adopted all of them because the love is there, but I always, I'm the one that's like, we, we got into this for a reason. There are people and, you know, I'll let you ask some questions as I could talk about it forever, but you know, the, the first and, uh, and primary strategy is reunification. So you do want to try to get the kids back, the babies back with their family, whether it be the bio parent or parents or kin or kith. So on your website, to your point, the departure, uh, on yeah. your website, adamgrow.com, I'm going to show here a little, uh, you've got under your subtitle there, posts. There's a bunch of posts and a lot of it is uh, kind of tips on presenting and it's fantastic. It's a great read. Um, but this one here, fostering a baby for 928 days. Uh, I, I said to you off camera, uh, this one this one brought a tear to my eye at the end. Um, it, it was such an emotional kind of uh, a story. And that that was the part that always kind of was like holy crap this must be you must have had nine different heartbreaks or seven different heartbreaks like every time this must floor you well that that's one uh, one of two baby miss m's and that's two foster babies ago and every case is different and the length of time that we have babies in our home has been different every single of the seven times we've fostered a baby we currently have a seven month old baby miss m with us right now we've had her since you know she was about a month old and she was a month or two premature so she came to us and i'm talking wow. about a different baby now but she came to us at four pounds and she's yeah. now she's thriving so she's been with us for seven months that baby that you saw in the picture was the longest thus far that we've had a placement which is was a little unusual we had that baby that you saw for as i explained a little over two and a half years and you know the the real goal uh, initially is to have a solution for any baby or any child that goes into care at a foster home, a solution within a year. But it, that one just took longer because we dovetailed into the pandemic at that time. And so things just took a little longer to sort out, but we are fortunate that we're still in touch with the, her forever family. Um, we don't see her very often, but you know, there are other babies that we foster that we have zero contact with and we have to be prepared for that. So um, fortunately in a situation where we raised that baby, um, 
you know, there were visitations for a while and then there was the transition, but ultimately that, that baby was with us for two and a half years. And then all of a sudden it's like, off you go. So, um, I think it's just a matter of the mindset and, uh, I, we always have been, and the social workers as well, have always been sensitive to the fact that it might be one thing for the adults in this circumstance to understand that, be able to grapple with it and justify it. Um, I think that for me, I've been the one to sustain the most even keel about that. We are here to foster. And what brings me the joy is to think about what we, what we did for that person in those pivotal months of their lives you know think about how much happens in the first three months of a person's life the first year of a person's life and then now once you get into toddler years i mean we're talking you know the love connections the threat connections the bonding connections early language motor i mean so much happens i am just honored that we are you know because we've failed miserably with our three kids i mean you know they're no they're they're, they're delightful uh, but i'm just honored kids. that we yeah that's right those were like the experimental children and so i'm just honored that i've been able to you know support in a loving way this human being and you know it brings me great joy to think about how they've been able to start their life uh their lives and then you know for the kids the social workers make it very clear and julie and i are are very aware of this especially since we started fostering almost you know nine years ago now you know they were much younger and i think about what you know think about you know the the boilerplate the pet dies right or the pet goes away you know you're talking about a human being that they've helped us raise as well so we've always been very sensitive and it has been challenging it's been difficult you know some decisions you know the courts are involved the bio you know there's all sorts of factors um and we're part of the team but we don't have final say on anything so not every decision is going to be something that we're totally comfortable with fortunately for us in our seven experiences nothing horrible has happened and i just want to i should put into context as well for you (laughs) yeah you know i should frame it as well i mean because we're talking about fostering and you're being very grateful to let me take a deep dive into it uh, for people who are listening or watching there's two things i like to put into context um first of all if if you are experiencing anybody in your social circles at school or at work who are part of the system whether they be a foster child themselves whatever age or a foster family, or there's been an intervention. These are not people that you need to judge or feel sorry for even necessarily. They need some support. And we've been involved in situations where they've voluntarily become part of the foster system. And in order to get the support to have a a reunification, uh, make changes in their lives, they've been successful. And so it's not about, you know, you know, you know, these people don't know what they're doing. How dare they, you know, whether it be crime, drugs, whatever's involved, uh, you know. And the other part I want to put into context is that the the horrible stories you hear about, I think are really so few and far between, but they're the ones that are salacious and make Attention the news. Grabbing. Yeah. It's not right? all the blind and, side, right? Right. So it's not, you know, there's challenging stuff that goes on and obviously we can't talk about specific details, but most of it is just really people working really hard to support other people to have uh, a joyous, healthy life. That's it. My last question is this, Adam, when do you, when do you hang it up? When do you stop? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Julie (laughs) right now is, is calling it freedom 55. If if that's a commercial that doesn't 
you know, escape you. Yeah. I mean, we're a different generation. I don't, you know, do you have, you have kids obviously. Well, how old are your kids? I have uh, six and three. All right. So, you know, I'm not a, an entire generation older no, than you, but I, half a generation. Probably. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> you know, we're going to, we're going to be approaching a decade probably by this doing fostering uh, by this placement kind of comes to completion. And coincidentally, we've got two kids in university graduating university this year. So wow. they're going to be, you know, moving on with their lives. And then our youngest is graduating high school and has got four years university. And so we're going to be empty nesters, aside from the fact that, who knows, you know, they may, they may come back and live with us. <laughs> they may uh, not be empty nesters. Yeah, right. But, and th that's totally fine. So there's kind of a, uh, a natural transition for us there. And yeah. I think the most natural thing, you know, for us to do would to become what's called a respite family. So we can still be on the board and be available for other families like us who need to go away for a family holiday or okay. something comes up and they need a weekend. So you have approved people that have been through the foster training and have all the background checks and you you're officially approved and then you can take a baby or a, a child for a weekend or a week. Uh, obviously that stuff happens very rarely because transitions are very difficult for kids in care mm -hmm. and you want to minimize that, but it's still needed and it's still required. Um, I think before I let you wrap, wrap it up, one thing that's come up for us uh, and not necessarily why we're inclined to transition out of doing it. One thing that was really eye-opening for me is during all this time with the Children's Aid Society, there in our brief history with them, because there's been fostering for decades before we did it, um, there's always been in place something that not only puts the focus on reunification and, and having kids back with their families, but also good cultural mix. So for instance, we were, we were informed at the outset that we would never get uh, an, an indigenous child in our mm -hmm. home. Uh, and I thought that was not only primarily because there's uh, Native Child and Family Services, which is a completely different branch of Children's Aid Society in, in Canada, uh, but because there's usually just uh, on a you know, case by case basis, uh, cultural match. So we've, we've rarely, we've occasionally had babies that are not culturally matched with us. And we do our part to support that culture, learning a little bit of their language, understanding, uh, what religion they might practice, even if they're babies, mm -hmm. that's our responsibility. But from an indigenous standpoint, um, because I've become much more informed over the last couple of years about indigenous issues and become more of an activist as a settler uh, and trying to be a solid ally, it's my understanding that there's a very um, difficult relationship that uh, many indigenous people and communities have with fostering overall, uh, including Native Family and Child Services, uh, because there's a feeling that culturally um, there's interventions and there's a colonial approach and a paternalistic approach to it. So it's been kind of eye-opening to me. The the kind of um, baseline that we've gone on in, in terms of informing ourselves is that within Children's Aid at the same time, there's been a new program in the, in the last five to 10 years called Journey to Zero, which is uh, a really aggressive plan to start to minimize the number of interventions that there are and try to support families, whether they're indigenous or not, in their home instead of 
removing a baby or a child from their home, which is really so important. So we've been learning about that, but I, you know, I wanted to frame that it's been an eye opener for Julie and I to really kind of see things from a different lens uh, and how there are problems within the fostering system. And we're trying to advocate for change within and support what Children's Aid is doing, which is to move towards less interventions and keep babies in their homes as much as possible. It's it's so funny that you mentioned Journey to Zero because I had written down on my notes, Journey to Zero. Um, and I'm glad you kind of worked it in there seamlessly. So thank you so much for bringing that up, Adam. I really appreciate it. Yeah, they're phasing out. They're we're being repositioned, right? <laughs> they're they're not going to need us ultimately. Is is the message? So we got to get out while we can. They don't need foster parent. Well, that's what, still that's a it. good thing, though, Adam. That's a good thing. Yeah, it is. That's right. It's a good thing. He is Adam Grow. Uh, you can call him the Cash Cab Guy. He doesn't mind. Uh, AdamGrow.com. Adam Grow on all the socials. I assume. Yeah, Adam Grow. Um, maybe with a little underscore. Something in there. In there I'm, I'm a lot. I don't know how to set these things up. So I see if, if something wasn't available, I just made it as close to my name as possible. <laughs> I should have gone with Cash Cab Guy. That's what everybody says to me. Cash Cab Guy. Cash Cab Guy. Cash Cab Guy. I can imagine. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. How? Hmm. Uh, excuse me. A frog in my throat as soon as I hit record. That was awkward. Uh, I could hit stop and do this again, but I'm not going to. So as I was trying to say before I choked, <laughs> was uh, how delightful is he? He's a delightful individual, isn't he? Uh, super generous with his time and uh, just a, a pleasure to deal with. Um, and has been through the whole interaction. Right from me reaching out to him to say, I'd love to talk to you. Um, right through the interview has been just the best. So Adam, if you're watching this far, which you probably don't watch your own interviews, but if you are, or maybe you're a friend of Adam's and you're watching this, uh, tell him I said thank you. And tell him how appreciative I am of his time. Because it really does mean the world to me that uh, I get to talk to anyone. For so many years, I just talked to myself. No one to talk to. Anyways, thanks to Adam Girl. We'll see who I get next week for guests. I'm always working on something. For now, I want to thank DeanBlundell.com. DeanBlundell.com, home of Canada's number one podcast network. A uh, really good website, too. I say that because I'm on it. Like three to five times a week, I throw up an article. Pop culture, parenting, and politics. Just like on the show, baby. But longer. So if you can't get enough of me, you can find me there. He also launched a uh, merch. He's got merchandise. And he said to me, you want in you you want to you want to do some merch with us and uh he's putting me in contact with his the print shop that we're using uh i don't know if i'm ready for merch yet but i'm definitely gonna kick the tires on it i mean i see a shirt like the one behind me here oh man i can't even get my finger out there it is there uh that my sister-in-law designed and i'm like that's awesome but you're you're not gonna want to wear a ner that nerd dad shirt however Maybe some uh, funny parenting sayings. Maybe that could be the thing we do. So, uh, kicking the tires on that. Also spoke to my brother about redesigning my website. He's good with tech stuff. I am passable. But right now, that nerddad.ca 
is basically just like a link tree. We're working on that too. Continue to, to grow, baby. Onward and upward. So, that's enough of me rambling to end this show out. Thank you for listening. Tell a friend. Tell an enemy. Hit subscribe. Hit follow. Five stars. Thumbs up. And uh, follow me on all the socials. I, lo- I love talking to you dorks. So, uh, interact. That's it. Be well. Be safe. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Damn. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon.